This is the Justice Fighter Podcast. Justice Fighter Podcast. With Attorney Gerald Griggs. Attorney G. Well, we have conversations on social justice, civil rights, and political news that affects us all. Let Attorney Griggs put you on game. Only on the Justice Fighter Podcast, y'all. On y'all, Attorney Gerald Griggs here on the Justice Fighter Podcast, and um, it's been an interesting day. Want to hop on here real quick and have a conversation with you guys about what's happening currently in current events, and there's nothing more current than. Uh, the trial of Kim Potter. She's the officer from Brooklyn Center Police Department up in Minnesota that, that shot and killed Dante Wright. And if you've been watching this particular case, it's been going on for a couple weeks, and the prosecution has rested, and now Kim Potter has taken the stand. And she's been on the stand for the better part of the day with a direct examination. That's when her attorney uh, is asking her questions, and now she's in the cross-examination. And, and, you know, typically I I wait and and see how a case is going to turn out. But it's very rare that a defendant takes the stand. Better yet, very rare that a a defendant who is a former police officer charged with a police-involved shooting takes the stand. So I want you guys to listen to a little bit of her testimony as she's going through what was going through her mind uh, when she encountered Dante Wright and ultimately shot him. I went around Officer Lucky as they're trying to get back in the door. I'm between the door and Officer Lucky and and the driver. And the driver's getting into the car. And what happened next? They're still struggling and I can see Sergeant Johnson and the driver struggling over the the gear shifts because I can see Johnson's hand and then I can see his face And you you knew Johnson for many years before this is that right? Yes And by looking at his face at that point in time, what did you interpret it to mean? He had a look of fear on his face It's nothing I'd seen before Did you say anything when you saw this? What did you do? We were struggling. We were trying to keep him from driving away. It just, it just went chaotic. I, it. And then I remember yelling, "Taser, taser, taser!" And nothing happened. And then. As you can tell from the testimony, she gets very, very emotional. Um, But we all saw this video, and we also saw before, during, and after this particular video. And and so when you have a situation like this, we have 12 citizens that are determining the truth of the matter, Um, the facts, and, of course, the judge gives them the law, and then they have to make a decision. Sometimes testimony um, needs to be visited, you know, right then in the moment. And so this particular testimony is during direct. 
Now, she's currently in the middle of cross-examination, and the prosecution is doing a very good job of talking about her experience, 26-year veteran of the force. She was the field training officer in this particular case, uh, going over the law, the fact that you know you cannot use lethal force uh, for an outstanding misdemeanor warrant, uh, and the fact that uh, she never deployed her taser in more violent in episodes uh, than this, uh, let alone using um, uh, lethal force. And then, of course, in law in Minnesota, you cannot use lethal force uh, for this type of encounter. Um, but I, I think that it's important for us to have a like a real conversation about what's happening in the courtroom and the, the attempt from the defense to humanize um, the defendant in a way uh, that makes people feel emotional. You know, I, I was told a long time ago in the practice of law, this is not a, a court of emotion. It's not a court of mercy. It's a court of law. And, you know, emotion has no place in a criminal trial in the determination of guilt or innocence. You can feel sorry for her, and I know a lot of people do feel sorry for her, uh, but the ultimate determination is whether or not um, a statute was broken and the state can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And so, you know, in watching this and, and kind of watching the emotion and listening to everybody that's on social media, you know, I want people to kind of rein it back in and realize that it's going to come down to um, whether or not she was grossly negligent um, in the shooting. It's not about intention. We all can agree that this was an accident, uh, but it's going to come down to whether or not the state can prove um, that it was wholly unreasonable to use the level of force that was used against Mr. Mr. Dante Wright uh, and whether or not she was mistaken in using her using her gun instead of her taser. They've had experts uh, on the stand to talk about the difference between the weight of a gun and the weight of a taser and the look of the gun and the look of the taser. Uh, and they've had use of force experts. So it's been a lot of evidence that's come out. But I think the most important evidence was kind of listening to her, her direct examination. And then, of course, listening to the cross examination, uh, which is going on right now. Uh, they're actually on a break. Um, and and I, I think that people cannot be... Um, forget where we were when this all happened. We were in the middle of the Derek Chauvin trial, and this shooting happened on video, um, and the response was quite quick uh, of what needed to happen and what the prosecutor's response was and the, and the level of charges and the arrest of Kim Potter. And so we're seeing a difference in the response of law enforcement to incidents like this, and we must hopefully continue to hold law enforcement officers to the same standard when they violate the public's trust. And in this particular case is, is another test case of how we're going to respond um, in these particular cases. So, you know, she she got emotional. She cried. Um, you know, she is appealing to the, the jury's sense of emotion. But this is not about emotion. It's actually about whether or not they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt uh, that she committed an offense that caused the death of Dante Wright. And so, I mean, that's what this case is, is really, really, really about. And, um, you know, that's what the prosecution's going to ask her. They're going to ask her questions about, you know, her training. They're going to ask her questions about uh, her judgment in other cases. And then they're going to ask her distinct questions about what happened in this case step by step and you know we were watching and they were going through the video and they were asking her questions and it seemed like she had selective memory 
you know, she could clearly remember what was on the officer's face, but she couldn't remember which hand she took certain objects from. Um, it was a piece of paper that was in her right hand and moved to her left hand. It was her right hand, and then that was the same hand that she pulled a gun, and you could clearly see the gun on her body cam and when she shot him, and that's where they went to break uh, because she became emotional. But from the body cam footage, you could see that this could not possibly be a mistake. So I'm interested in hearing how she um, – approaches that line of questioning with the prosecution because I think that's critical in the determination this jury is going to have to make whether or not this is justifiable and I'm going to go on record I've been on record for a while now this shooting is not justified you know you cannot mistake uh, a taser for a gun let alone a 26-year veteran making that type of mistake um, so you know, I, I want to see if we can get some of the, the live cross-examination here. Who has a warrant during a traffic stop, right? That's not uncommon. And you've done hundreds, hundreds of traffic stops in your career, correct? I don't know if hundreds, but yes, I've done plenty of traffic stops. And, and gross misdemeanor offenses are not the same as felony offenses, fair? Correct. They're a different order by the judge. Less serious crimes, correct? All crimes are serious, but yes. Well, in terms of the laws of the state of Minnesota that you're duty-bound to enforce, a gross misdemeanor is a lesser offense than a felony, correct? Yes. And you don't get to shoot someone because they have a gross misdemeanor warrant, correct? Not for... Correct, Your Honor. It depends on the circumstances. You also testified about learning about an order for protection, correct? Yes. You said it was a, a temporary uh, one that you saw, correct? I believe it was an ex parte order. And essentially, the order that you're describing would limit contact between two people, correct? Yes, in various ways. It doesn't prohibit all contact with all members of the opposite sex, right? Just certain parties that they're not supposed to have contact with. Sure. And you did not see a need to rush up to the passenger side of the vehicle and um, pull this woman to safety, right? Not at the moment. Okay. When you got over to that car and Mr. Wright got back into the car, the car was still running, right? It was running that whole time? I don't know if it was on or not. Well, you told Dr. Miller that the car was running, didn't you? I don't remember that. You told Dr. Miller that Wright pulled away and got back into the driver's seat of the car, which was still running. Okay, then I said that. And the entire time this is happening, you're standing behind Officer Lucky, right? At what point? As Mr. Wright is getting back in the car. I came around Officer Lucky's left side to help him. And you indicated that uh, Sergeant Johnson had approached on the passenger side, but he wouldn't have been in front of the door because that would have been unsafe, right? Yes. I am going to put on the screen Exhibit 13, starting at... 201.48, just that, uh, if you could just leave it with that time frame, please. Okay, um, Ms. Potter, on the screen we have Exhibit 13 at 201.48. I'm going to um, slowly advance the frame to 201.56. A couple more frames, please. Okay, you'd agree at 201.56, the piece of paper is still in your left hand, correct? 
Yes. Okay, let's advance. Um, actually, let's play until 2.02. <laughs> Okay, so stopping at 20201, um, you have the firearm in your right hand, correct? And you are pointing it directly at Mr. Wright, correct? And so that was the point where she broke down on cross-examination after breaking down on direct examination. And you can kind of see where the prosecutor is going. Prosecutor is going step by step into what she did, how she did it, and how it was unreasonable. And that's the crux of this case. And so as a good defense attorney, her lawyer jumped in when he saw his client breaking down on cross-examination and, and asked for a break, and that's where they broke. And, and that's where they're going to pick back up. But what I wanted to kind of talk to and talk about was, you know, when whenever a criminal defendant takes the stand, um, it comes down to whether or not the jury believes them. And in this particular case, it's going to come down to whether or not they believe that Kim Potter is really crying because she's sad about what happened to Dante Wright or if Kim Potter is afraid of the consequences of what she's done. There was a tape that was played in court earlier um, in the week where it showed the aftermath and you could clearly see that she was sad and upset about what could possibly happen to her. Uh, she was asked during the cross-examination uh, if she remembered uh, what, she was, what she said um, after she shot him uh, when she's on camera saying, oh my God, I'm going to prison. It wasn't, oh, my God, um, I just shot somebody and he's died. It was, oh, my God, I'm going to prison. Um, that showed where her focus was at that time. So, you know, what a lot of people are picking up on, and they're talking about the Kyle Rittenhouse case and how he cried and the outcome of that. Um, this case is distinct from Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, a lot of people in, a few weeks ago were talking about Travis McMichael and how he got on the stand and how – he cried a little bit uh, and compared it to the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Every single case is different. This case is different than Kyle Rittenhouse's case. The performance of the state in this case is different from the Kyle Rittenhouse case. The law that's applicable is different from the Kyle Rittenhouse case, and every case must be viewed on its own. And the question in this case is going to be whether or not, from the evidence, the state has proven that it was unreasonable for her to use a taser, I mean, to use a gun and believe it was a taser, or whether or not she was justified. And, and I think that so far from the evidence that the prosecution has presented and the evidence from the defense, including uh, Officer Potter's testimony, it's going to be very difficult for a jury to find that her actions were reasonable. That's what we got to focus on. That's what we have to make sure we watch and we understand. Um, you know, and, and I think it was important to listen to the testimony. It's important to continue to tune into this case, to watch it from beginning to end. And so it's streaming live right now on Court TV and, and Law and Crime Network. Um, again, she's testifying. Today is Friday. Uh, so we probably won't have this case uh, going to the jury today. Uh, because, of course, after she finishes testifying and the defense rests, um, then they will have.
closing arguments. They'll, of course, have the tra- the charge of the court. So it'll probably be sometime next week, Monday or Tuesday, that the jury has the case, and then we can do a little bit more gauging of where this is going. Uh, but I, I, my, the question I wanted to pose to my listeners is do you believe that the tears and the emotion of Kim Potter will have any effect on the outcome of this trial? Should it have any effect on the outcome of this trial? And is it the proper place during a criminal trial uh, for emotion on either side? Um, These are things that lawyers struggle with. I myself struggle with because as a lawyer, I know what the law is. And as an activist, I know there's a lot of emotion. I believe there's no place for emotion in a criminal trial because we are searching for the truth and searching for the facts. Uh, The emotion can come after there's a determination of what the truth and the facts are. I think in this case, the truth and the facts are quite clear as they're on video. Um, But I wanted to hop into the pod, talk about this, get your perspective on this, um, and then see where we go. So we're going to pick back up on this once the trial is over. I'll probably have another pod uh, cast, and I'll bring a guest on to talk about this, bring some other lawyers on, because there's a lot of conjecture around this case about what should or should not happen, um, how this will move the conversation forward on police accountability and criminal justice. And, and so it's good to to watch it and, and to analyze it. Uh, but again, uh, my stance on this is clear. From watching the video, from seeing what happened on a um, misdemeanor stop for a tag violation, and then it turned out that there was a misdemeanor warrant, um, Dante Wright should still be here. Um, Kim Potter should have known the difference between a gun and a taser. Um, But we are very interested in the outcome of this trial, interested in what the jury will say, interested if, if the jury comes back with the verdict of guilty, Um, whether or not um, the punishment will fit the crime, or if she's acquitted, um, we will come back and break down and analyze why she was acquitted. Uh, But I think that it's important to watch this case. It's important to stay tuned and and focused on justice. Uh, This is one of the bigger cases that are happening right now. Um, There was also another case that kind of went unnoticed, and it was a huge, huge decision that we don't often get in cases like this, Um, It was another police-involved shooting case uh, that happened in Austin, Texas. And the the young man's name was Landon Nobles. And um, the district attorney in 2017 said that the case was a justifiable shooting. He was shot by law enforcement uh, while he was, uh, it was alleged that he was armed. His family maintains that he was unarmed. um, And they justified it. Well, his family filed a lawsuit in federal court. And uh, two days ago, a federal jury found the officers and the city of Austin, Texas, liable for $67 million. I'm going to say that number again, $67 million. That does not happen in America. That does not happen often. And I think it deserves more attention than it's getting um, from media and, and from individuals. So let's, let's talk about um, Mr. Nobles' case. And so um, here's the story. This is in uh, CBSAustin.com. It says that a federal jury sides with sides against Austin Police Department officers and awards $67 million to the family of Landon Nobles. A jury has awarded the family of Landon Nobles $67 million in damages on Wednesday. 
Noble's family launched a wrongful death lawsuit in 2018, nearly a year after uh, his death anniversary. Uh, it says, a 24-year-old man was killed on 6th Street by officers on May the 7th, 2017 at 2.40 a.m. Chief, uh, Chief Brian Manley said that the night of the shooting, officers heard gunshots and discovered that they came from Noble's. When the officers tried to talk to him, a foot chase ensued, and Noble turned around and fired at the officers. However, a witness working security at a nearby bar that night said that he saw the officer throw a bike at Nobles, causing him to trip and making his gun go off. Landon's lawyer previously stated his team intended to prove during trial that after two officers assaulted the victim on a bike with a bike, they shot him four times in the back and left him to die in the street like a dog. Noble's family initially estimated the amount they were suing was for 10 to 15 million, but no one expected the family to be awarded, awarded six times that amount. The city of Austin spokesperson sent the following statement to CBS Austin. The city acknowledges the jury verdict and will explore all options as it moves forward. The city and the officers are genuinely surprised by the verdict, both question the liability and certainly on the uh, dollar amount awarded. Now, $67 million is a lot of money. The family was asking for 10 to 15. The jury gave them six times that amount. You have to ask yourself why. You have to ask yourself what evidence was presented in that case. And with all due respect to law enforcement and the officers, the jury heard some evidence that made them punish the city and the officers six times more than what the family was offering, was asking for. So, it shows in America that there's a tide that is turning on these issues. And it shows cities around this country that they need to be more serious about police accountability because 67 million is a lot to come out of anybody's budget. It's a lot for the taxpayers to have to pay for situations that could be resolved other ways. Uh, in this particular case, the police alleged he had a gun. Obviously, he clearly didn't use the gun or threaten the gun in any fashion that the jury found would have justified him being shot in his back. Um, so this is one of those cases that we have to keep our eye on because we know a lot of these cases exist where a citizen um, has been shot and killed by law enforcement and there's a narrative put out there that's completely different from what the family knows and from what the witnesses say. So we have to keep an eye on this. This is a type of case that raises a lot of questions about what we are told as the public and why this case did not reach national attention. 2017, here it is, 2021, $67 million. We need to do a deeper dive into that. So I'll try to get more information on that, but I wanted to bring that case to your attention as we are watching the Kim Potter case as we finished watching the George Floyd case, we're still watching the Vincent Truitt case, and the Rayshard Brooks case, the Jimmy Atchison case, and so many other cases uh, that we need to make sure we watch with an eye toward fact-checking and making sure we understand what's happening in real time. So again, it's Attorney Gerald Griggs here at Justice Media HQ, where we're focused on justice, focused on bringing you accurate information in real time, and we will bring it to you on this podcast I hope you enjoy this podcast and all the episodes. Please share them. They're on all social platforms, and we will continue to bring you the information as we had it. I'm Attorney Gerald Griggs, a Justice Fighter. 
I'll see you in the next part. This is the Justice Fighter Podcast. Justice Fighter Podcast. With Attorney Gerald Griggs. Well, we have conversations on social justice, civil rights, and political news that affects us all. Let Attorney Griggs put you on game. Only on the Justice Fighter Podcast, y'all.